our scripture today comes from the, the book of the letter to the Ephesians. Today is, uh, we're continuing a series where we're talking about genuine spirituality. We're talking about encountering God in such a way that uh, your life, your, your spirit touches heaven and also impacts earth. And um, this is one of the this is one of the prayers that, that the Apostle Paul prays uh, for the people that he uh, ministered to and that many of them that he led to the Lord and churches that he established. And Ephesus was one of his most uh, beloved places, one of the places he stayed for quite a while. And he was very, very close to the leaders and he's writing back to them. And uh, this is what Paul says that he prays for the church and for the the people in that church. So let's uh, let's read God's word together. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. The the typical posture for prayer in Paul's day was not to kneel, but it was to stand. You would stand before God and you would stand in, in humility before God and you would pray. But when you really were desperate for something, when something was really important to you, and you were, you were more of a supplicant. You were more of just uh, saying, I, this is what I have to have. You would kneel. The kneeling was a, a posture of, 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 of importance, of desperation. I need an answer. And so when Paul says that the way that he prays for these Christians in Asia Minor for the things that he lists in this passage, he isn't just praying in a religious kind of posture. He's praying in desperation. He's praying saying, this is what his friends, this is what these believers in Asia Minor, this is what they need more than anything else. And this particular week, as we look at what constitutes genuine spirituality is Paul is basically saying, if you have not had a profound spiritual experience, if you have not had an experience that rocks your world, that, that in many ways takes over your heart, then you have not yet experienced a genuine spirituality. Now, Paul, when he's talking about this profound spiritual experience, experience or encounter with God, he, he makes some interesting petitions in here. They're interesting 
because they are things that every believer should have. He says that Christ would dwell in your hearts. Well, if Christ is not dwelling in your heart, you're not even a Christian. So why is he, why is he praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts and that they would come to know the love of God? So another thing that is just common for being a, a Christian. And then he says that they would know the fullness of God. When you become a Christian, if you uh, follow the teachings of the New Testament, when you are born again, the very Spirit of God comes and makes his home with you. His Spirit indwells your spirit. There's not a junior Holy Spirit. There's not a half Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, he comes the whole Holy Spirit. So why is Paul praying these things that they already have? Well, he's praying it because it's possible to believe, it's possible to trust in some sense in sort of the Christian message and Christian doctrine, and yet to have never experienced it in your innermost self. So Paul is praying that they would not be like ordinary people. The ordinary situation in most churches, in most religious even uh, traditions, is that people know the truth but have never experienced the truth. People have a knowledge of the truth, but they've never quite experienced it for themselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones is probably one of my favorite uh, ministers of all time. He was a, uh, a minister of the gospel in, in London, and, and uh, even in the waning days in many th of re religion in England, yet every Sunday, 1,500 to 2,000 people would come out to hear Lloyd-Jones preach. And he would ask people who would come to hear him preach, and he would he would say to them something like this. He would say, do you know you're going to heaven? Do you know that you're a Christian? And the, and the person would answer him, and they would either answer the right answer, or they would answer a kind of stumbling answer. And they might answer something like this. They might say, well, Dr. Jones, I'm trying to be a Christian. I'm trying to get to heaven. And he would immediately say that their answer would reveal, in a sense, whether they were a Christian or not, but it would also reveal that they did not understand the gospel. Because they were, if you say, I'm trying to go to heaven, or I'm trying to be a Christian, you're saying that it's a matter of works, that you're trying to be a good enough person, you're trying to be a better person. Christianity is not for good people. Christianity is for bad people. Christianity is for broken people. It's for people who realize they can't try and get there. And they begin to understand that it's a status that is given to us and a standing with God that is given to us because of what Jesus has done and because of our faith in Jesus. And in some ways, if your answer to that question is based on works, you still haven't encountered Christ. And so many times they would, they would say to him, they would say, oh, oh, Dr. Jones, yeah, I know that. Okay, it's, yeah, I have faith in Jesus. I have faith in the cross. I have faith in his works. But the problem was that even if their answer came back and it was right, what, what he realized and what he said is, here is a person in my church 
in which the love of God, the love of Christ is not operative. They're still trying to get God's approval. They're still trying to be a better person. They have not yet been captured and in some ways destroyed by an encounter with the love of Christ. It's so easy to do. It's so easy to be in a church setting. It's so easy to be in a religious setting. And you see that there's these rules and there's these behaviors and you don't do this and you don't do that. And you get caught up in trying to be what you're supposed to be, never realizing that the only thing that matters is have you encountered the love of Christ? Have you realized that he died for you? Have you realized that he lives for you? Have you realized that even now, in this moment, Jesus is at the throne of God praying for you? So Paul says, I bow the knee that that you in Ephesus, who I love so much, that you would get this, that the love of Christ would come into your inner being. See, Ephesians 3 is a, is a contrast to what I shared with you two weeks ago. But it's a healthy contrast. It's not a contradiction, but it's a healthy contrast. Psalm 88, you remember, Psalm 88 ends and says, Darkness is my only friend. It's like one of the darkest psalms in all of the, uh, all of the psalms. And it's, it's amazing when you look at it, because in a way, you cannot have healthy spirituality, and you will not grow if you can't go through the dark times. There are some of your greatest growth times are the times when you feel like God has been most silent and life has been most oppressive. It's in those moments that you take hold of not control of life and circumstances, but you, you begin to grasp the grace of God. You begin to depend on the grace of God. The truth is... The, more, the older I get, the less life makes sense. I mean, things I think are going to happen don't ever happen, it seems like. And the, thing I th- the things I think will never happen seem to happen with frequency. And it's amazing to me how little control any of us have over anything except ourselves. Isn't it interesting? The only fruit of the Spirit that deals with control is self-control. You thought he was going to give you control over everybody else. And over circumstances. No, that's the lie that Satan uses to trap people. Is he's going to give you control. There is, you do not have control over anybody but yourself. And so it's, it's so fascinating when you see that there's this piece of your spiritual growth. There's a, a part of depth of true spirituality that means you have to go through the dark times. And it is... It is The times you go through that you don't understand, the times that are uncertain and ambiguous, when you lean in and you stay in relationship and you stay in prayer, those are the times where you grow the most in many ways. You will not be a deep spiritual person without having gone through dark times. But at the same time, what Paul's saying here is that you will never be a truly deep spiritual person. You'll never have much width and depth of spirituality unless you also have had profound experiences of the love of God. See, Ephesians 3 is basically saying you can only grow and change by experiencing God 
as a, a truly present God in your life and experience his blessing. You, every one of us needs a download of his love and his favor. Both the dark times and the, the high, the powerful times are necessary. And sometimes they go, they go together. I was um, doing a church plant. Lisa and I were in Atlanta. It was our first church in Atlanta. And we started with less than 20 people, and we got the church up to like 150 to 200 people or so. And I was, ex- I was utterly and completely exhausted because I made this mistake. I planted the church in my own strength. I had no idea how to plant a church in the Holy Spirit. I just planted the church by Lisa working hard and me working hard and our kids working hard. And I didn't know I had done this, but I had basically promised that every person who came to the church, I would be their best friend. So people called me at 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, midnight, called me in the middle of the night. I mean, I, I, was, I, I got to where, Lord, this church would be great if there were no people. <laughs> I it just, I couldn't stand anymore. And I was getting angrier and angrier. And Lisa, one of her great traits is she is utterly responsible no matter what. And she knows what to do and how to do things. And I just hate that about her. And... Uh, <laughs> Because I didn't want to do this stuff. She's like, you got to go do this. you got to go talk to this person. you got to start this Bible study. And you have to do that. I'm sitting there going, oh, God, this is horrible. My own home is horrible. And the church is horrible. And so I just started thinking, God, either kill me, take me home, or heal me. Because I'm not going to make it through this. And it was, it was months of just feeling miserable. And horrible. And I thought, wow, if we ever get more than 150 feet, we get up to two or 300 people, I'm just going to be divided into so many ways, I'm not going to have any of me left. And I remember just being angry all the time. And I remember like, wanting to escape into fantasy and lust and all of this stuff. And I, and I, and I felt like a spiritual schizophrenic. And it was the darkest, it's funny, it was success on one measure, but it was dark inside of me. And I, I spent a whole night, I'd never done this before, but I spent a whole night just praying. Some people call those dark nights of the soul. And I just kept, I just kept going this simple prayer, heal me or take me home. And I had this experience of the voice of God speaking to me. And I had this experience of the radiance of the presence of God filling our bedroom. And all he said was a scripture verse where it says, by my stripes you were healed. And with those, those simple words which come from Isaiah 53 and the manifest presence of God in our bedroom, I, I began to have an activation of faith where that scripture became real to me. Now, that scripture was accomplished for me and you on the cross 2,000 years ago. But it was that profound spiritual encounter with the manifest presence of Christ in my bedroom and a download of his love and his grace that took that scripture from being a doctrine to being an encounter. In some ways, it's a little like when you get your ATM card. When you get your ATM card, it represents that you have an account that you can access. The money is yours. 
As long as you know the PIN number and as long as you activate that card, you can, act, you can then access everything in your account. What happens with many Christians is they get the account, they get the card with all the love of God and all the fullness of God and all the grace of God, but they never activate the account. Either they don't know the PIN number or they're too lazy to call. So it's sitting there, all these riches... All this stuff, and sometimes there are lies that keep them from activating the account, like, oh, that's for really spiritual people, that's for, like, missionaries, that's for pastors. No, the account that is yours was bought and paid for you by the Lord Jesus Christ. You access it by faith, and you activate it in love, and it's yours. The reason some people experience more than you've experienced is because they want it more than you want it. And they've chosen that this is the way they're going to do it. Now, the problem sometimes in the Christian faith, I'm going to keep hitting this point, but the problem in the Christian faith is that if you go to one tradition, they'll, they'll emphasize the dark night. And they almost say the only thing that matters is your suffering. And you go to another group and they'll emphasize only your powerful experiences in the Holy Spirit. You know, all the extraordinary aspects of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you need both. That both when he takes you through the valley and when he lifts you up on the mountaintop, it's still how God grows his saints, how he grows his His children in the faith and in love. Now, are you tracking with me a little bit? There's very few of you, so I'm depending more on you than usual. All right? So what Paul does is Paul begins to unpack in this prayer, what's the legitimate, profound spiritual experience that you should go for? And we see him in the three petitions that Paul makes for the people. Now, the the first of them is that Paul asks that, that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit, but in your inner being. Now, when Paul refers to your inner being, he's really, he's using a term that also equals your heart. And when, when the Bible talks about your inner being or your heart, it's not excluding any aspect of your personality. For example, your personality is made up of the way you think, so it's your mind. Your personality is the way you feel, so it's your emotions. Your personality is made up of, of, of how you choose things, so it's made up of your will. And so what, what, what Paul is saying when he talks about heart, he's saying that you would have a capacity in your heart, in the center of your very being, you would have a capacity to experience and to live in all that God has for you, all his love, all his grace, all his presence. Paul is asking that you would have space not taken up by anger, not taken up by anxiety, not taken up by depression and unbelief and discouragement and all these things that take up so much space. Do you know what? generally is underlying every angry, anxious, or depressed heart, a fearful heart. 
Fear takes up space. Now, you could spend the rest of your life saying, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm afraid. The problem is those two things fight against each other. See, the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. It's because perfect love cannot exist in an atmosphere of fear, and fear cannot exist in an atmosphere of perfect love. Now, the problem for most of us is because we grew up apart from the Spirit, apart from grace and apart from love, the only thing we've ever thought protected us was fear. In reality, fear doesn't protect you. It seems to protect you, but all it does is limit and inhibit you. God wishes to give you wisdom which will protect you. And that wisdom comes from the love of God that he has for you. So then Paul goes, he goes, not only do I want you strengthened in your inner being, but I want your inner being to be able, your heart to be able to grasp and to know. And so he's talking about that whoever you are, whatever's been your past, whatever's gone on in your life, that these spiritual encounters with God enable you to have the capacity, a power within you that grasps and begins to know and experience the love of Christ. I do a lot of marriage counseling. And one of the things that happens is almost every married couple comes to a point in their marriage where they're missing each other. They're living in totally different spheres than their spouse. For example, I'm not talking about places where there's unfaithfulness or places where there have been affairs or things like that. I'm just talking about the fact that two people can love each other and yet not feel any love from each other. And that's tragic. I mean, this, this is the person sitting on the front row that I love more than anybody in the whole world. And because of the damage that was in my life, because of the wounds from childhood, I would tell her I loved her, but not hear her say, I love you back, even though she said it. I would hug her and hold her and never feel her arms around me. And, and there's so much that goes on. I know, I'm, I was screwed up, I admit. Um, she'd look at me and she'd go, I hugged you, what's wrong with you? Kind of a thing. But I couldn't feel it. I couldn't register it. And, and in some ways, uh, some of the things that I gave to Lisa, I was always giving her what I wanted her to give to me. Well, some of the things she gave to me were always the things she wanted, and they didn't touch me. For example, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if you can figure this out, but I like attention. <laughs> Lisa thought anybody that liked attention was a hot dog <laughs> and needed to be put in their place. So for years, even though attention is actually a legitimate need, in her mind, my need for attention needed to be stopped. So we, we, we got on page with that, and she started saying, okay, attention is a legitimate need. God made you to where you needed attention. And so she would say something like this to me, you look very handsome today. And I would look at her and say, can you elaborate on that? <laughs> and she'd go, <coughs> And she, her big thing is nothing in life is supposed to be done alone. Everything is supposed to have 
a partner. So she always wanted me to go to the grocery store. I thought the grocery store was a one-man job. You hunt, you put it in the basket, you take it home. You know that for her, it was a social experience. And so I would say, no, give me the list, I'll go do it and stuff. But she's sitting there going, these are times when I feel loved when you are walking with me, pushing the cart and talking to me and all this stuff, you know. And so we, it's just so easy, even though you love each other, to completely miss one another. Am I making sense to you? That's with someone you see. Think about how it is to miss the love of Christ who you do not see. And especially if any of us start to realize Satan will do everything to keep you from God's word. Satan will do everything to keep you from prayer. It'll keep you from church on a Sunday morning with a demonic snowstorm. (laughs) You understand? Because... If he can make it to where you believe Christ, but you've never experienced Christ. If he can make it to where you know, but you don't know in your inner being. That's, this is what Paul is talking about. He's saying there has to be some greater experience of Christ in our lives. For example, for some reason this has quit on me. Can you help me there, Marlene? What Paul is talking about here is an inward experience in which Jesus becomes as real to you as any other person and then more real to you than any other person. That his love becomes more important than any other thing in your life. Now, one person told me I would be be completely unable to preach if I wasn't married to Lisa, and that's probably true. So I'm going to pick on that one more time, I know, I know how much, I I know how much my wife loves me, and it means the world to me, but as important as her love is to me, it only points me to the source of love, because, see, if, if the only love I know is the love of another person, but I've never known the source of love, which is Jesus's love for me, then I make those people who love me my idols. And they can never fulfill that position. So what Paul is saying is that even though it's great to have people around you who love you and to be in a loving community, you will not make it spiritually until you realize the most important love in your life is the love of Jesus. Now, there's a, there was a pastor in New York City his name was uh, Stephen Olford. He's passed away, but, but he wrote some great stuff about how you come to a place where you recognize that the love that Christ has for you is all-encompassing and, and worthy of your entire inner being. Let me read a little bit of what he said. To the glory of God, I now know that there is no demand made on my life, which is not a demand on the life of Christ in me. The Lord Jesus Christ is totally adequate. It is not Jesus plus. It is Jesus period. Everything is in Jesus and Jesus is everything. We must go and tell a church of defeated Christians that there is victory in Jesus. This thing is still not quite working. Marlon, will you 
Thank you. And then he explains a moment of encounter, personal encounter with Christ. And I, I want you to meditate on this a little bit. He said, the greatest moment in my life was when I discovered that God expects nothing more or less of Stephen Olford, that's the pastor who's writing this, than abject failure. And even more importantly, only one person can live the Christian life, and that is Christ himself. All right, now, I, I don't want this to be doctrinal for you. I'd like this to be experience for you. So look at the person next to you, point at them. <laughs> point at them, okay? Let me see if you get a little righteous right now, all right? <laughs> point at them. All right, and say this out loud, all right? Ready? God, God's only expectation of you, expectation of you. is abject failure. Now, if that hurts your feelings, if that hurts your feelings, you haven't understood the gospel because you're still trying to be good enough. You're still trying to do something that will get the approval of God and you will fail. You understand what Alfred is saying is Christ Jesus is everything. It's not you and Christ. It's not a little you and a lot of him. It's all him or no him. And if you can get this this morning, it is, it is awesomely freeing. There are so many Christians that are saying, okay, God is requiring of me. God is demanding of me. And all forgets it. He says, God only expects failure from you. The problem is you expect so much from yourself, and you're the biggest disappointment to yourself. But you're not a disappointment to God, because it's faith from start to finish. It never works. You are an abject failure, and it's okay, because that's what the gospel is for. See, when you begin to realize this, then the love of Christ becomes so beautiful because you're sitting there going, well, then why does he love me? I didn't deserve it. I didn't make it happen. He knows I'm a failure, and yet he chose to love you. And since you didn't make it happen and you don't deserve it, you can't mess it up. You can't screw it up. But if you stay in this kind of religious sort of counterfeit spirituality, you're like, well, I'm going to try to be good enough. I'm going to try to do enough. And as long as you do that, you will never have these deep spiritual encounters because the encounters are for the broken. The encounters are for the failures. We are a religion of losers. And until we get that, then the grace won't matter to us because we'll, we'll still be thinking, well, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm better than these other people. At least I don't do this. And as soon as that comes out of your mouth, you should immediately go, that's, that's wrong. That's religious. The love of God is out of his grace, not out of law. It's not because someone deserves it. It's because Christ Christ himself accomplished it for us. You see, I, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love you. 
but none of you can love me like I need to be loved. You will almost always love, will always love each other somewhat on the basis of what we get from each other. Only Christ can love me needing nothing from me. And he just gives and he gives. And when, he, when you need more, he gives more. And, and the more I get that, the more I fall in love with Christ. And the more I want these profound experiences with him. Now, Molly, I'm going to need you to advance it. He said, Alfred uh, says this, he says, and only as I trust him to live his life in me can I possibly live the quality of life that satisfies the heart of God and challenges the world in which I witness. Without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. See, at some point, this idea, I am an abject failure, is the consequence of Jesus saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. So anything I do apart from him is just a failure, even if I think it's a success. But by his indwelling through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is adequate. Only one person in the whole world lived the Christian life, and that was Jesus. There is only one person who can live the Christian life now, and that's still Jesus. Therefore, exchange all your strivings and defeats in the flesh for his life in you. This is what Paul is saying, that this becomes real, that the indwelling Christ dwell in you richly, fully, that you have the power to grasp this. Make your motto and motivation, not I but Christ. This is Christ-centeredness. Look, you may not be ready for what I'm teaching you today, but it can transform your life. It can take you from just a minimal spiritual person to a great spiritual person because you stop making it about you and you're making it about Jesus. And your life becomes supernatural, not natural. It's not limited by your talents. It's not limited by your gifts. Let me, let, let me just keep pushing this a little bit. I like to push, so I'm going to push. D.L. Moody was one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived. <laughs> there were these two old ladies who said, Mr. Moody, we are praying that you would grasp in a greater way the love of Christ. He was offended. Because he thought, I'm a great evangelist. Who are these ladies to be praying for me? I'm effective. I'm impactful. Who are these? You know, you know pride kind of came up just a little bit. Well, he came to New York. He was sailing to England to hold these revival meetings in England. And he came to New York, and he was walking on the sidewalk near Wall Street. Now, very few people have had profound spiritual experiences in Wall Street, but but D.L. Moody had a profound encounter with Christ on the sidewalks in Wall Street. And this is what he says. One day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his, what? His love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience. If you should give me all the world, it would be small dust in the balance. Whitfield, um, George Whitfield was an Anglican pastor in England that 
transformed by the love of Christ and became the leader of the Methodist movement with John Wesley and Charles Wesley. Whitfield's probably the greatest English preacher that's ever lived. He had this experience that at night as he prayed, he would start getting such an experience of God's love that he could not go to sleep. And the love would come with such power and force that he would say, Lord, please, I do need to sleep tonight. It would be so amazing and profound, the love that Christ was giving to him. If you've ever heard of Blaise Pascal, Pascal is one of the great philosophers and mathematicians. He's revered both in the spiritual world and in the science world. In 1654, he had an experience of the love of God that he wrote down. And if you go online, you can see this whole thing that he wrote. Well, what he did is he had the experience. He wrote it down. He sewed the, the, the note with the experience. He sewed it into his coat so that it always stayed next to his heart. So that when he died and they opened up his coat, there was his profound spiritual encounter that he had had with God that transformed his life and that he kept near to his heart every single day. And then there's a, 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 a mystic, a lady by the name of Teresa of Avila, and she called the experience she had with God, she called it a glorious foolishness, a heavenly madness. I was bewildered and inebriated in his love. Now, I a lot of ex- examples, but the reason is this. You have Moody, who's kind of a, an independent evangelist. You have Whitfield, who's this Anglican high church guy. You have Pascal, who's French philosopher, mathematician. You have Teresa Avila, that's a Catholic and, and uh, a woman. You, what I'm trying to do is say to you, this experience of the love of Christ knows no bounds. He wants to encounter you, and he wants you to encounter him. And it has nothing to do with what you've done so far, or what you haven't done, or where you come from. It's, it's, it's his desire that you would experience him. And Paul prays, and, and this is the last thing we'll look at. He says that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. When he talks about fullness, or the fullness of God, he's really talking about that that there would be established in their lives a pattern of life where God is the center of their life, where where there's not a single thing that they think of, there's not a, a thing that they do, there's not a morning they wake up, there's not a night they go to sleep in which there isn't a sense that God is is a part of every minute that he's at the center. <laughs> you know, when you love someone, when you really love someone, And when someone really loves you, you can't live without thinking about how this decision or how this choice or how this behavior will affect them. Those of you who are married, you know this. Even if Lisa is away on a retreat or teaching somewhere, I'm sitting there going, okay, what would you want me to do right now? And it's not that I'm sitting there going, oh, man, that mean old woman. No, it's more like, you know, what would please my wife? What, what would my wife think about this? You see, when you really love someone, they're, they're not diminishing you. They are augmenting. They're supplementing you. That's what Paul's praying. He's, he's not praying 
that they'd have some concept of how big God is, but rather that they would begin to live a pattern of life in which God is at the center. Now, I would say that one of the most discouraging, or I would say even the most heartbreaking thing to me, is to spend years discipling someone or to spend time investing in a person, whether it's mentoring or discipling or coaching or whatever it is. And then they walk away and their life is unchanged by all that you've invested, all that you've poured into them. And instead of actually thinking about making those teachings or that person of Jesus center, instead they keep themselves at the center of their life and their expectation somehow is, is I'm going to get away with stuff and I'm going to I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm, you know, I'm going to pray that God will keep me from the consequences of it or whatever. But God himself and what's been invested in them has little or no effect. And I've seen that so many times and I, because I can't always tell. People that God sends our way, I just faithfully try to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to pour my heart out. I'm going to invest. I'm going to show them the fullness of your life. I'm going to show them the fullness of your life and my life. I'm going to let them live with me and in my journey. But man, nothing is more heartbreaking than when somebody just ignores that, when they discard it, when they go against it, when they just live as if nobody has spoken them, taught them, cares for them, or anything else. See, that's what Paul is saying here at the end. He's not, he's not giving you this high doctrine, the fullness of God. What he's saying is, so much has been invested in you. So much has put, been put to your account. The fullness of the love of God. The fullness of the love of Christ. It's all yours and when you live to find your fullness apart from God, one, it's, it's very destructive to you, but it's heartbreaking to those who love you. And so Paul is praying for these people that he loves, and he's down on his knees, and he's saying, oh, I just want you to know how wide the love of Christ is for you. I, wanna, I want you to know how deep the love is. I want... You to know the links that he's gone to to love you. And I want you to know the height of the love that he has for you. See, in the end, you may be awakened in some ways to come to God because of consequences of sin or because life goes badly to you, but you'll never love God out of fear. Particularly, you'll never love God out of fear of consequences. The fear of Bad things happening to you can keep you from making bad decisions, but it'll never draw you near to God. So what Paul is saying is he's praying that they would have such an experience of the love of God that, that they would live their life, the pattern of their life would become the fullness of God in their lives. And instead of limited, <laughs> it's interesting, even these great, these great saints, they said, oh, the love was so much I had to tell him to stop because I couldn't handle it all. See, what Paul is praying is that you'd have more and more capacity to experience more and more and never have to say, stop, Lord, it's hurting. But rather say, Lord, I'll stay up all night because this love is so sweet. Or Lord, wherever, wherever 
it is that you meet with me, this is a sacred and holy place to me. Will you stand with me? Does this make sense to, to you? So here's what, here's what Jesus is praying. He's praying that right now, your heart, your inner being would make a resolution, that you would make a commitment, that you're going to pursue encounters with God, whether that's prayerfully pursuing or, or, or being in places where you know encounters with God take place. But you're going to say, I cannot live in this relationship with Jesus and it just be doctrine or it just be morality, or it just be behavior. I, gotta, I have to know the love of Christ and its height, its length, its depth, its width. Because that's what, you were, that's what you were made for. And, you know, you might say to yourself, well, I'll never be like Moody or Whitfield or whatever. How do you know one? Because they weren't worth anything till they had the encounter. It was the encounter that made them who we now look back upon. Otherwise, they would be unknown. There could be that because you haven't experienced the fullness of God in your life, which is yours to experience, that that some doors and some openings and some opportunities that are ahead for you have not been experienced yet because you haven't let that love come in in this way. Would you do that today? Would you say, Lord, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to go after you. And the prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians is the prayer your pastor prays for you. That you would have the same experience that he asked for his friends. I'm asking for my friends. Would you just open your hands? Lord, we are people who need more more inner to be strengthened to have cap capacity greater capacity in our inner man that we can take hold of we have the power to understand the power to grasp christ in us the hope of glory and ourselves in christ and apart from him we can do nothing but i can do all things through christ who strengthens me that you don't waste the dark times and you don't waste the times of the of dizzying heights either. That you are the one who wants to meet us so that we live in your fullness instead of in our weakness. Lord, I ask this prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians, I ask it for Risen King. And I ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We have some people who will... Uh, pray with you up front here. We have some of our elders, our leaders who will pray with you. God bless you. Uh, drive safely home. Eat another bagel, probably. Have sustenance. <laughs>